I'm going to pray, and then we're going to uh, start. The reading will come in a moment uh, during the talk, but let's pray together. Father, we come before you, the creator of it all. Lord, may we never get bored of recognizing the privilege that that is. May we never take it for granted that you, the living God, invites us to draw near. And that is what we do when we pray. You welcome us into the throne room of heaven. And it's where we're gathered now. And so we ask that you would speak to us through your word, that you would be with us, that you would teach us about prayer. And more importantly, move us to pray more. Make us into intercessors. For the sake of this world and the glory of your name. Amen. So we're in a month of prayer and uh, we're looking today at uh, intercessory prayer. Intercession means praying for others. And throughout Scripture, we are commanded, it's not just good advice, we are commanded to pray for other people. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The truth is, I shouldn't actually be doing this talk right now. I wasn't on the schedule to preach today because Will, our wonderful warden, Will Joston, was due to preach. But as I mentioned earlier in the service, Will and Jen are, are pregnant. They're 20 weeks pregnant. They're five weeks, five or six weeks ahead of us. Um, coming up to 21 weeks pregnant, actually. Um, and things have been going smoothly, but for a couple of weeks, uh, a few weeks ago, Jen had been bleeding a bit. She'd gone into A&E a couple of times, and they'd tested, they'd run checks, and they'd sent her home saying, look, it's all okay, don't worry. She was here last Sunday night at the well. If you were here, we had Emmy preaching on healing. And uh, Will and Jen both came to the evening service, and I got Emmy to pray for them, to anoint them with oil, to ask for God's healing and protection over their little baby, who at that point we didn't know uh, his name. We knew it was a boy, but he's called Malachi. But after that service, an, an hour or two later in the evening, they had to rush to hospital once again, and they had complications. And it turned out that... Uh, Jen had experienced, uh, I think the technical term, medical term is a rupture, however big, whether that's a perforation or a big tear, but a rupture of the amniotic sac, and she'd lost a lot of fluid. And they ran a test, and they could see that the, the space around Malachi had, had really decreased. And it looked like, and Kirsty and I, we rushed to hospital. 
And we were with them till two in the morning, just being utterly useless, <laughs> other than being friends. And it looked for a moment like Jen might go into labor that very night. And as you'll probably know, a 20-week-year-old fetus is not viable outside of the womb. And it would have spelt the end. This is a much longed for, prayed for child. They'd been trying for two and a half years. Jen's a little bit older. So all of their hopes were teetering on the edge. But she pushed through. And Malachi had a strong heartbeat. And day by day, and we went in the next two days visiting them, checking on them, chatting to them, praying with them. They continued to be on a knife edge. And this is six days on now. This is the seventh day. And they continue to be on a knife edge. But you would be so proud of Will and Jen, the faith that they have exhibited, the hope, the perseverance, being in this single room in the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. What an amazing staff there. And that place is swarming with Christians. Hallelujah. I mean, it's wonderful news. They are well, every other midwife seems to be a Christian, um, which is fantastic. So they're getting great care, great support. They're getting fellowship there. But guys, it's, it's been a heartbreaking week and it's pushed us to the edge. But what I'm so proud of is not only Jen and Will who keep persevering, but us as a church community, a church family who've rallied around them to pray for them. And in that hospital on several occasions, Kirsty and I would gather around Jen on the bed and she's battling an infection. She needs the amniotic sac to heal. She needs the fluids to replenish. But as she lay there on the bed, we laid a hand on her tummy, on Malachi, with one hand. And with our other hand, we stretched it to heaven. And we prayed for God to intervene. And you know, guys, I don't know if there's any better illustration of what intercession is than doing just that. Because intercession is to stand in the gap for another, another person, another community, another nation, for our world. It is standing in the gap as the people of God crying out for those who cannot, for some reason, cry out for themselves. And as we stood there with one hand on Jen's tummy, on Malachi, and one hand stretched out to heaven, we did it with hearts full of faith, crying out that heaven and earth would come together and that God would intervene. Because that is the heart of intercession. The word intercession in the Greek means to pray, to intercede for, to entreat, or meet with a person for the purpose of supplication. It also means bending over to intercede on someone else's behalf. What a beautiful picture. To bend over another. To pray, to stand in the gap. And as we prayed over Jen, it was as if we were bending over her to protect her and to ask for God's intervention. 
And we believe he is intervening, that he is moving. Malachi is still healthy. There's still everything to fight for, everything to play for, everything to pray for. And we do this. And you as a Christian, we as the church, we practice intercessions because we believe it makes a difference. Amen? Our reading today, if we could have that lagoon, is from Genesis. It's a picture, another picture of intercession from Genesis 18. It says, When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went uh, towards Sodom, but Abraham remained, remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He's doing rather well, isn't he, Abraham, at this point? You've got to respect him. And the Lord said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry one last time. I just added that. Um, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? I think Abraham had some idea how wicked Sodom was, right? Okay, it's like just negotiating him down, downwards. What if only 10 can be found there? The Lord answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. 
and Abraham returned home. Now, sadly, if you know your Bible, you'll know that this prayer wasn't answered because obviously God did not find 10 righteous people in the whole city of Sodom. And he, hid, he did destroy it. That's a sermon for another day. But what we get here is a picture of Abraham's heart to pray and intercede for others, to stand in the gap, to plead for God to be true to himself. And let's be clear of something. God invites that. He welcomes it from us. Don't make the mistake of thinking from this story that Abraham is more merciful than God, that God's desperate to destroy it and only Abraham persuading him, nagging him, just five more, Lord? What do you think? 20, 10? Don't think that he's persuaded. God is more merciful than Abraham. We don't need to persuade God to be kind to be good, to be loving. That is who he is. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Sometimes feels like that, doesn't it? In the mystery of unanswered prayer, when we're in it, when we're wrestling, when the outcome doesn't go the way we want, can sometimes think, what's going on up there? Who are you? Are you kind? Are you, are you loving? Are you willing? Martin Luther said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. God is willing, folks. God is waiting and he's longing to answer our prayers. The only question is, are we making them? Are we praying? Someone once said that, the greatest tragedy isn't unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. We've all experienced unanswered prayer, right? But how many things haven't happened because we haven't offered the prayer in the first place? So let me ask you folks today, what does your prayer life look like? I know mine needs a lot of work. Anyone else? I'll be honest. It's hard, isn't it, prayer? It's hard work to prioritize the time. Busy lives, you've got to get to work, you've got things to do. There's a show I need to watch on Netflix. It cannot wait, even though it can actually completely wait. We think it feels like a waste of time. We're going into a room by ourselves and praying seemingly to the ceiling. Like, are you there, God? Are you actually hearing? Yes, he is. What does your prayer life look like? I love this verse and I chatted this talk through with Will a couple of weeks ago, planning what he might be saying on this occasion. And we reflected on this verse from Isaiah and what it tells us, what it speaks to us, the challenge it is to us about prayer. And he was going to have mentioned it. Isaiah 62 says this, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Those words again. Give yourselves no rest. Let's be honest, folks. Who here is getting far too much rest when it comes to their prayer life? Okay? Who's barely awake, if we're honest, most of the time? I'm getting a lot of rest right now, and I want to change that. More than that, Isaiah says... Give him no rest. 
So let me ask you, does the Lord know the sound of your voice? When you cry out to him, when you pray to him, does he go, oh gosh, <laughs> there's Danny again. I know that voice. Or is he more like, Joe? Joseph, my son? Is that you? Is that really you? Sounds like you. I can't quite remember. It's been so long. Is that more the case? <laughs> I was making a joke about Joe, but he's actually a very prayerful man. That, that name should have been me. Pat, is that you, my boy? I think he's forgotten what my voice sounds like often. The command is give him no rest, none. So hands in the air, folks, if you've been going too easy on God, if you've been letting him have far too many snoozes in heaven. Hands in the air, amen. Confession, this is part of it. We're real good because then we can begin to change. And that's our heart, isn't it? We want to change that because we have an invitation to come, to come to God, the creator of it all, the lover of our souls. He's waiting for us. He invites us to draw near. He commands us to give him no rest, but to pray and to see him move in power, whatever that power looks like. Because situations can change, folk. History can change. Walter Wink, this theologian, once said, history belongs to the intercessors. We might not see it here on earth, but when we get to heaven, we will see, oh my gosh, I had no idea. If I had more idea, I would have prayed more. He said, history belongs to the intercessors, to those who believe and pray the future into being. In May 1940, King George VI called a worried nation to prayer. The previous three weeks had witnessed a relentless drive by the Nazi regime across much of Western Europe. Lightning fast military maneuvers, blitzkrieg, had resulted in the capitulation of Belgium and the Netherlands, with France on the verge of surrender. Appearing unstoppable, the Germans had driven a wedge between the Allied armies, with the British now being squeezed towards the channel ports of Calais and Dunkirk. The destruction of the United Kingdom's professional soldiery appeared inevitable. Churchill's government and the Royal Navy made plans for an evacuation. Only a miracle could save the trapped Allied soldiers. It was against this backdrop that His Majesty King George VI requested that the nation turn to God in a spirit of repentance and plead for divine help. The population responded en masse. In cathedrals, churches, mission halls and private homes, thousands turned to God and sought deliverance. Their prayers were answered. Storm clouds filled the skies above Dunkirk, preventing the Luftwaffe from attacking the besieged British forces. And the calmness of the English Channel allowed a flotilla of small boats, maybe that dinghy Amuti was talking about, to join the Royal Navy in the evacuation of over 300,000 British, French and Belgian troops. Operation Dynamo was a resounding success. Light would continue to shine against the forces of darkness. There were extraordinary scenes across the country on that day, the 26th of May, 1940. Thousands of people quietly queued to attend services and prayer meetings. 
The the response to the king's call was remarkable. In some places, churches were unable to cope with the numbers attending special services. Who wants to see that at St. Peter's? Us unable to cope with the numbers. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, bring a friend next week and we will begin to struggle. That's where we want to be. We want to be struggling on all fronts. (laughs) Reflecting on these events and several other days of prayer held during the Second World War, the Bishop of Chelmsford remarked, if ever a great nation was on the point of supreme and final disaster and yet was saved and reinstated, it was ourselves. It does not require an exceptionally religious mind to detect in all of this the hand of God. Folks, we are called to pray for others. In a moment, we will pray for Will and Jen and Malachi and other needs. This is the privilege. But it's enforced and it's encouraged and we find the energy to do it with one final truth on which I want to close. The fact that Jesus prays for us. Romans 8, 34 says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is alive right now. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah? That's why we're here. If not, we're wasting our time on a beautiful day and we might as well leave immediately. But he is alive. And he's in heaven. And what's he doing? He's praying for you and for me. He's fulfilling his priestly role of joining heaven and earth together, of being that mediator, bringing us one to another. He's praying that we'll stand firm. He's praying that we'll continue to run the race, fight the good fight, that we'll keep the faith. Are you struggling today? Do you need help in some way this morning? Are you looking for encouragement? or hope, or more power in your life, to know God with you. Well, ask Jesus to pray for you, because the Father never refuses him. Therefore, he is able, Hebrews tells us, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. And it's not just Jesus, folks. It's a Trinitarian event. The Holy Spirit is at it as well. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Folks, you are more loved than you could ever imagine. God the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is fully behind you and fully for you. But hear this. You are more prayed for than you could ever believe. The only question is, will will we return the favor? Will we pass on to others the blessing and intercession we ourselves are receiving 
from Christ right now. That's what we're called to, folks. And that's what we're going to do. Amen. Amen.